0: Hello and welcome to episode 180 of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast, I'm Adam. Today's story from north-west London is another cautionary tale about neighbours and how difficult it is to live alongside them. Before we start today, just a really quick word, as you will know, I'm a big supporter of the mighty Leeds United. It's really sad news this week at the loss of one of the greats from Leeds United, Norman Hunter, fantastic player, legend on the field, but much more than that, a gentleman off the field. So, a really tragic loss, and I think all us lead supporters' family and across the football world have really felt it this week. I'm delighted that this show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Okay, so we all know how ExpressVPN protects your privacy and security online, but here's something you might not know. You can also use ExpressVPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. Now that so many of us are stuck at home, it's only a matter of time until you run out of stuff to watch on Netflix. So this whole week I've been using ExpressVPN to binge Brooklyn 9 on Netflix Canada. It's so simple to do. I just fire up the ExpressVPN app, change my location to Canada, refresh Netflix and that's it. You see ExpressVPN hides your IP address and lets you control where you want sites to think you're located. You can choose from almost 100 different countries... So just think about all the Netflix libraries you can go through. Love enemy? Use ExpressVPN to access Japanese Netflix and be spirited away. But it's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service. Hulu, BBC, iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason I use ExpressVPN to watch shows is because it's ridiculously fast. There's never any buffering or lag, and you can stream in HD, no problem. ExpressVPN is also compatible with all your devices. Phones, media consoles, smart TVs and more. So you can watch what you want on a personal device or on the big screen, wherever you are. If you visit my special link right now at expressvpn.com slash UKTC, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support the show, watch what you want and protect yourself with ExpressVPN at expressvpn.com UKTC. Today's podcast is also sponsored by Noom. Getting in shape doesn't have to be about losing a specific amount of weight or a magic number on the scale. To me, it's about building healthier habits and feeling better about myself and most importantly, having more energy. Because everyone has different motivations, Noom adjusts to your lifestyle. They teach you the psychology behind the decisions you make and then help you keep track of everything from workouts and steps to analysing your diet and recommending healthy recipes. Noom also connects you with a personally assigned goal specialist and a community of other Noomers so you have all the support you need to empower your change. Working with Noom to get fitter has helped give me that energy I was looking for and to concentrate better for longer without those weary downtimes during the day when I used to flag. More time to cut and paste from Wikipedia for this podcast. The app itself is super easy to use and I love the fact it isn't about rules. I'm really not very good with rules. But it is about making it easy for me to make great health choices. Noom is not a diet. It's a healthy and easy to stick to way of life. Even in these times of lockdown, we all struggle to find time, don't we? So with Noom asking me to commit just 10 minutes a day really works for me. You don't have to change everything in one day. Small steps make big progress. So sign up for your trial today at Noom. That's noom.com forward slash UKTC. What have you got to lose? Visit noom.com forward slash UKTC to start your trial today. That's noom.com forward slash UKTC. Before we begin, a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon. Thank you so much for your support, which is much, much appreciated. And more exciting news, as the special Patreon Facebook group has now welcomed supporters of the True Crime Enthusiast podcast, joining supporters of Seeing Red and supporters of this podcast. Come and join us, it's fun. Let's take a quick look at the music we were listening to at the time of today's events. The number one single in the UK was Uptown Funk by Mark Ronson featuring Bruno Mars. In the US it was Taylor Swift with Blank Space and in Australia, top of the album charts was friend of the show The Buble. This was the month I saw Stephen Hawking claim that artificial intelligence could be a threat to mankind. A weather bomb hit the north of the UK causing winds of up to 144 miles per hour, causing chaos. The world's first penis transplant procedure was carried out by a team in Cape Town, South Africa. Which reminds me, If you can recommend a penis reduction surgeon, please do contact me directly. It's for a friend. Greetings card retailer Clinton's withdrew a tongue-in-cheek Christmas card detailing 10 reasons why Santa Claus must live on a council estate (laughs) after it was deemed to be offensive by the public. Oh, for goodness sake. CityLink's administrators announced the loss of almost 3,000 jobs after a deal to buy the firm fell through and six people were killed after a refuse lorry crashed into a group of people in Glasgow's George Square. Did you get the date? It was December 2014. As 48-year-old TV satellite engineer Trevor Gibbon sat in his Mercedes on Alexandra Road in Harrow, northwest London, in December 2014, he kept looking at the Tesco carrier bag next to him, which contained two large kitchen knives and he wondered how his ordinary life had come to this point. The Morrison family had moved next door to Trevor and his teaching partner, Maria Perrett, to Windsor Crescent, a normal residential street in Harrow in 2011, to a 300k end-of-terrace house they'd hoped to settle. Oh my goodness, apologies. By mentioning the house price, I sound like the Daily Mail, not something that anyone aspires to. Alison Morrison had been a former children's publisher. She spent time working in senior roles in marketing, had been a chair on the Book Trust Board of Trustees, co-founder of the Diversity in Publishing Network and in 2007 had begun work as a senior manager for the consumer charity Witch. At the time of this story, Alison was also vice-chairman of the Harrow Safer Neighbourhood Board. Shortly after moving into their new home, Alison and her husband Cedric received a complaint from Trevor about their sixteen-year-old son Cory skateboarding around the semi-detached houses that lined the road. Trevor made it clear he didn't like it, and he found the noise of the skateboard particularly annoying. Alison and Cedric did their best to appease Trevor, as you would with a new neighbour. But you know how it is with sixteen-year-old boys. There's only so much you can say that they will listen to, and from that point onwards, Trevor continued to complain on a regular basis about the noise created by the Morrisons. By the summer of 2012, the situation had deteriorated to the extent that Alison contacted the local authority for advice. The Morrisons just wanted to live in peace with their neighbours, but they felt that Trevor seemed to take almost every opportunity to escalate anything that happened. And Trevor quickly turned very unpleasant, intimidating the Morrisons in their own home. To counter this, the Morrisons installed £2,000 worth of CCTV cameras to gather evidence of what they were subjected to on an almost daily basis. And Allison also bought Cedric a G Pro camera for his bike helmet to capture Trevor's bizarre and unsettling behaviour. Trevor retaliated by also installing a CCTV system, writing the Morrisons a handwritten note saying, Sunday the 24th of November, hi. Please be informed that we are installing a camera security system. The cameras will not be filming you properly, but may appear to be pointing in your direction. If you have any concerns, feel free to come and discuss. Maria and Trevor. The situation was starting to get out of hand. Alison went a step further and erected a large security light which caused further animosity between the neighbours. If you've been involved in a dispute with a neighbour, you'll appreciate how draining this can be and how it can take over your life. After all, when you're at home, it's the place you're supposed to feel safe. It's almost your sanctuary, isn't it? In handwritten notes, Alison wrote that the police did not initially believe her after she complained about how Trevor was treating her family. She referred to his behaviour as constant unending harassment, saying, It felt like I was being stalked. Did at any time Cedric or my son left or returned to the house, He was there waiting, watching us and planning what he would do next. The council and the police intervened to try to make things better, but Trevor and his partner Maria weren't having this at all. Trevor refused to sign an acceptable behaviour contract in March 2014, despite the efforts of police and the local authority. In April 2014, he was issued a prevention of harassment letter Which he also refused to sign. This activity did lead to a short period of calm, but the row was reignited when the local council repaved the street, but did not drop the curb leading onto the shared driveway between the neighbours. This led to them to argue about who could park where and who had the rights to do so, and again the situation escalated quickly. Trevor harassed and threatened Alison and her family. he would bang bin lids together at 6am below Alison and Cedric's bedroom window. He would repeatedly flash his car lights at the Morrison's house while blasting his horn and deliberately box in their car on the shared driveway. Can you imagine living in that environment? The reality of it. The situation came to a head in October 2014 when Trevor pulled up alongside the Morrison's car on their way to work, stopped, and stared at them from his car before driving off. Trevor later followed Cedric to work, prompting the couple to complain to police. Trevor Gibbon was arrested on the 20th of November, before taking an overdose of paracetamol in an apparent suicide attempt. Gibbon was admitted to Northwick Park Hospital, where he insisted he'd acted on impulse, and was released after he told two psychiatric nurses that he had no intention really to kill himself. The whole situation was taking its toll on everyone. Alison was struggling to sleep, feeling that it had got so bad that she couldn't see a way out. In a statement to police about the harassment made on the 13th of December 2014, Alison said It felt like he was obsessed with us and was planning his time based on our schedule. It's impossible to explain how unsettling and disturbing it is to worry about somebody else's erratic behaviour every day. I became anxious for my family for what the neighbour would do next. He seemed to enjoy it, and whenever the police visited, they would change their tactic and escalate what they were doing. Even now, I don't believe he knows how to stop doing what he did, and I fully expect him to start again when he knows things have quietened down. Trevor Gibbon pleaded guilty to harassment in court on the 17th of december twenty fourteen and was banned by a court from contacting Alison Morrison. He was charged with harassing the family between the 1st of August 2012 and 31st of October 2014 and admitted the offence at the magistrate's court. Alison said afterwards, I've suffered a great financial loss to protect my family from my neighbour and to make sure they are safe. Gibbon made no attempt to hide his emotion in court as he grumbled to psychiatrists that no one seemed to care about his distress. He said he had broken down in court after pleading guilty. After the restraining order was handed out Gibbon and his partner Maria went shopping in Watford to try and take his mind off the case but he felt unsettled he felt that his mind had gone. That night Gibbon lay in bed and began seething with rage and he hardly slept at all waking up at 2am thinking about the case. He did not want to go to work the following day. I feel like I'm overheating, he told Maria. The next morning Alison was busy next door getting ready for work feeling a little bit more positive now that there was a restraining order preventing Gibbon from making any contact with her and her family she could never have known that the CCTV from her own house that morning recorded Gibbon shoving two large kitchen knives into a Tesco carrier bag which he put into his car and set off down the road Alison left the house at 7:40 a.m. a few minutes after Gibbon had left in his car to make the short walk to North Park Station to go to work. Her mind was full of the family's plans for Christmas, when she was planning to return to her hometown to see her wider family and to really celebrate the occasion. After all, it had been quite a year. Alison's sister, Julie, was going to be staying with the Morrisons that weekend after attending the Olympia horse show in London, and another of Alison's sisters was coming to the end of her 10-day holiday in Cuba. Alison was very close with her family and her sisters meant a great deal to her, even more so after the loss of their dad just a few years before. Alison made her way along her usual route down Windsor Crescent, left into Tregena Avenue and right into Alexandra Avenue. It was around 7.47am that Trevor Gibbon got out of his car with a bag of knives and unbeknown to Alison began following her. He quickened his pace and then when he was within touching distance, he removed the knives from the bag and began continuously stabbing her slowly and carefully in the back 15 times. Witnesses commented later how the attack wasn't frenzied, but it was slow and deliberate. Gibbon then dragged Alison to the ground, where he sat astride her, and continued to stab her through her lungs, diaphragm and liver, and inflicted a 6-inch deep wound to her bowel. In the awful attack, Gibbon inflicted 33 wounds to Alison's body and she was looking at him as she fought desperately for her life and there were a further seven wounds in self-defence. One eyewitness said he saw a man holding a knife stabbing a woman like he was hammering a needle. He was lifting the knife up and slowly stabbing the woman. She rolled off the pavement and he ran off. Another said she saw Gibbon armed with a long-bladed black-handled knife stabbing her slowly and as Alison managed to wriggle free on the ground, Gibbon continued the onslaught in a measured, almost calm and calculated fashion. As local residents rushed to help Alison, who was covered in blood and now having difficulty breathing, she told them repeatedly, Trevor Gibbon did this to me. As paramedics arrived at the scene and reassured Alison, telling her they were doing everything to save her life, Alison responded, You're not. You're going to lose me. Alison was taken to St Mary's Hospital in Paddington, West London, but tragically, she had been correct that she was dying and she lost her life later that day. A post-mortem examination later gave the cause of death as multiple stab wounds. A large knife was left at the scene and a bloodied gibbon had been spotted getting into his car and driving away following the attack. The police soon rounded him up over a 100 miles away in Lincolnshire. When he was arrested, he repeatedly stabbed his feet on the ground and shouted, Fucking hell, what have I done? Fucking hell. Gibbon had dried blood all over his hands and told police he was heading to the coast. He said, I'm a fucking coward. It was over a neighbour's dispute. But later, in a prepared statement, he said, At the time of the alleged offence I was acutely unwell and any act which I may have done, would have been carried out in the context of the symptoms of my mental illness. Due to my mental disorder, I would not be able to form the mental element of the alleged offence. Gibbon admitted manslaughter, claiming he was suffering from an abnormality of mental functioning because he was depressed, but denied murder. Opening the murder trial, Prosecutor Brian O'Neill QC said That morning, Trevor Gibbon was a very angry man. He may well have felt that Alison Morrison had got the better of him and had won their protracted dispute. He may well have felt the need for revenge as a result and so he armed himself with not one but two knives and drove off to wait for her as she made her way to the station. He attacked her, intending not merely to cause her serious injury but to kill her. The QC went on to describe Alison's killing as a planned premeditated attack on an unarmed defenceless woman by an angry man who was out for revenge. This was murder, nothing less. In mitigation, Francis Fitzgibbon QC said that Gibbon was horrified and deeply sorry for what he had done. The lawyer said, It's so wholly out of character that he and his friends and family are at a loss. No one could have guessed someone flashing his lights, banging on his fence, being a bad neighbour, could have done something like this. Giving evidence, Gibbon openly shed tears as he told the jury of the running, tip for tat dispute he had pursued with his neighbours. But he was unmoved as he went on to describe being hazy when he attacked Alison, and said he could not remember what was running through his mind. He said he had stashed two knives in a Tesco bag in his car because he was contemplating suicide after the neighbour disputes had landed him in court. He said he could not remember any of the attack and refused to apologise to Alison's family who were in court throughout the trial. I don't actually remember doing what I did. I just feel, I don't know what I feel, Gibbon said. It's on my mind all the time. It's all I think about, really. The way the Morrisons must be feeling, especially about me. It's just devastating. What makes it worse is all the history of it and being involved. It makes it worse. A defence psychiatrist said that the feud had made Gibbon so miserable he had an abnormality of mental function. He was capable of making decisions, but the decisions he made were informed by his depression, his pessimism, his feelings of guilt, said the doctor. That did impair his ability to make rational decisions. He was not able to make rational decisions because of that depression. Gibbon continued, I was sitting in my car thinking about suicide when I saw Mrs Morrison. He said he could recall panting as he ran away, but his memory of the incident was just so patchy. He never had any thought about killing her. He said his car was in a place where he'd often park it and he wasn't waiting for her to come past. And Gibbon sobbed in the witness box when talking of his depression and repeated suicide attempts. The jury weren't convinced by the evidence provided by Gibbon and unanimously found him guilty of Alison's murder. The judge, sentencing him to at least 28 years in prison, told him Stress may have resulted in some mild depression, but not an abnormality of mental function. Your acts were a product of resentment and festering anger arising from the dispute and the restraining order imposed on you in the day before in particular. This was an extreme attack of truly horrifying savagery. This was not a frenzied loss of control, but a merciless and deliberate act of vengeance with an intent to kill at the forefront of your mind. This brutal murder robbed a close-knit family of a devoted and caring wife, mother, sister and aunt. A woman who in the victim impact statements it was made movingly clear had a zest for life and enthusiasm for her responsible and stimulating job. As a result, her family have been left devastated. Family and friends of Alison both applauded and sobbed in court when the verdict was read out. And during the trial... One of the most emotional parts was when Alison's 17-year-old son, Cory told how he had moved out of their home in Harrow and moved to Portsmouth to live with Alison's family, where he thinks of his mum literally hundreds of times a day. He described how he'd been taken out of school to hear his mum had been stabbed and felt as though I was being crushed by the weight of the world itself. I felt completely drained of life. I laid down essentially sunken into my bed, did nothing ate very little, and cried a lot. Many things have fallen apart in my life, especially the relationship with my dad, he went on. When my mum was alive, our relationship wasn't that great anyway, and it would always be my mum that would bring us back together whenever something happened. Every morning when I wake up, I have to remind myself that my mum is gone. I realise I can never again go into her room to wake her. It breaks my heart every day not to have her with me, I so desperately want my mum back and I'll do anything to have her hear of me again but I know that she's never coming back and I'll never see her again. She's gone. All because of one man, Trevor Gibbon. The man who murdered my mum. Cedric Morrison told the court he hoped to have a meeting with his son after the verdict as a first stage towards reconciliation. He said he believed the major problems for his son was that Gibbon's partner, Maria Perrett, still lived next door and she shows no remorse. Adam talking now. As far as I can work out, six years on, and the pair still live next door to each other. Can you imagine the reality of this? Cedric continued in his statement. Alison was my best friend, my soulmate, the soul of our home, and the breadwinner of our household. Alison was an exceptional mum to my son Cory, with the most beautiful maternal instincts, loving, supportive, And always encouraging. Since her loss I've been left to continue alone, without the woman of my dreams, and I do not know how I'm going to carry on. He told how his wife had supported him through ill health as a result of a kidney transplant, and how she'd volunteered with the local police, who as a mark of respect, had their officers lined up to salute her funeral procession. So what you make of what you've heard today? It's a shocking story, isn't it? When does an annoying neighbour who's intimidating you or doing things that make you feel uncomfortable, when is that line crossed? When should you start feeling genuinely scared for your safety and the safety of your family? Alison did all that anyone could have done. At first she tried to talk to him, tried to reason with him, and to negotiate him, make things better. Nothing. She then went to the police and he was done for harassment. But again... How could she have predicted that the day after he was given the restraining order, he'd have lain wait for her on her way to work and killed her? Leaving behind a son, husband, family and friends, devastated by the loss of someone who'd achieved so much and could have achieved so much more. And as I said in the story, how can Cedric and Maria still be living next door to each other? Can you imagine the reality of that? How can that possibly work? And what about Trevor Gibbon? lying in his cell as we listen to this podcast. Any sympathy for him? No, not really. Will he ever come out of prison? I think it's unlikely, don't you? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. To discuss this story or any aspect of UK true crime, please head to the Facebook group. There are almost 30,000 of us. Do head to my website, UKTrueCrime.com. You'll see my latest article about the struggles that independent podcasters are facing in the true crime space. Have a look, let me know what you think. And to support the show, please do head to Patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. You'll find 40 bonus episodes, other exclusive content, and it'll give you an opportunity to join the Facebook Patreon group for supporters of this show, and also Seeing Red and the True Crime Enthusiast podcast. It's a smallish group, around 100, 120 people. It's a very safe, fun environment. Do please come and join us. So that's all for me for today. So until we speak again, stay safe, take it easy, and most of all, stay classy.